for a few months now, for a number of months really, we've been talking about this topic of love. Uh, uh, quite a while back, we, we, looked, we were looking at um, 1 Corinthians, and we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and, and we said that even though this passage is, is read at weddings and, and, and it's giving us this beautiful picture of love, it was really more to shame the Corinthians that their love was not like what it was supposed to be. Uh, then we looked at the prophet Jonah. Jonah, who ran away and, and, and gave up his, his post as a prophet of God, all because he knew that God would be merciful and loving and compassionate and gracious to the, the Ninevites, uh, a wicked people uh, that didn't, he, Jonah didn't feel they deserved his love and grace, uh, but they instead, Jonah felt they deserved God's wrath and his punishment and his justice. And so Jonah has to graciously sit in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. And now in 1 John, this is the second time John has brought up this issue of love, this theme of love to his readers. And so it makes us think maybe there's something important that we should note here. And John is saying that love is a test of whether you are a true follower of Christ or a pretender. But his intentions are not to cause us doubt, but rather to give us confidence and assurance. With confidence, he wants us to to press on towards the goal, towards that race that we are all running in the Christian faith. It can also serve as a a stirring for for those who have perhaps grown up in the church but have not yet put their confidence in Christ. And certainly we are following the prescription of Hebrews to spur one another on to love and good deeds. And so there's just two points for us this morning as we look at 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 24. The first is the love test, and the second is confidence moving forward. The love test. John writes in verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. What a beautiful description of becoming a Christian to pass out of death and into life. It's so opposite to the physical reality, right? We go from life to death. It's a consequence of the fall of Adam, the fall of man. But the spiritual reality is the opposite. It's the other way around. The way into the kingdom is passing from death and into life. It's an undoing of that curse through the work of Christ on our behalf. We are all born uh, dead into a a broken and fallen world. We're all born at, at enmity with God, alienated from God, even if you were born in a Christian home. And it makes no difference how you were converted. You came to realize that you were a born again child of God passing from death into life. And it's not something that 
is going to happen in the future. It, it is not something that we are waiting for. It is something we know now. It is a current reality. And John says, we know we know. The, the whole purpose of John writing this letter is that these Christians may know that they have eternal life. He's giving confidence. He's giving the believer confidence so that we don't have to live in this great fear and doubt as so many people do. But we can know we are safe through the blood of Christ by the word of Christ. John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress, which has blessed generations of Christians uh, uh, for, 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 for years. But his spiritual autobiography entitled Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners is very different. He recounts how in his seemingly endless search for assurance of salvation, he was haunted by the question, how can I tell if I am elected. But there is a condition, there is a test for us to be sure. Verse 14 again, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. So on what grounds do you know? On the grounds that we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. You love the Christian family. Think of the little church in Colossae. Uh, that Paul writes to, a a little community of Christians amidst this this entirely pagan uh, area, community. What a challenge to sit there and think, are we the only ones who have this truth amidst this massive pagan world? Amidst all these doctrines that, that come trying to point us in different directions. And so Paul writes to them, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. They are not just professing one thing and living the other. Their love has been seen and it has been demonstrated. Lindsay and I often talk about What do people do for community when they move halfway around the world like we did? Uh, Is it in a bar? Uh, Is it through a school where your children go? Is it through your workplace? Because all of those do have social dynamics. You will make friends in those groups. But where else in the world would you find the love and the care? And not just love and care, but it, but it doesn't take a long time to build those relationships. They are uh, immediate. We moved halfway around the world, and we were immediately welcomed as family. We moved all the way back around, and we were welcomed as family again. I've traveled around the world, and I'm always welcomed by churches and believers as if I'm one of them. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful picture. And yet you might be saying, well, that may not be a good enough argument. It might need a little bit more. 
And so John continues on. He, he contrasts these two basic attitudes. He, he talks about Cain's way, and he talks about Christ's way. Cain, whose story is recorded in, in Genesis chapter 4, instead of loving his brother Abel, Cain's attitude was dominated by a, a hatred that eventually leads him to kill his brother. And, and at the root of Cain's hatred was not a dislike of his brother. That's not what drove him. But it was something much deeper. I think we can assume that Adam and Eve would have told Cain and Abel about the Garden of Eden. They, they would have told them about the fall. They would have told them about the, the eviction from paradise, about the need for a sacrifice. And through that gracious sacrifice, they could approach the holy God. And so Cain offers some uh, fruits of the land, almost as if he is just going through the motions. It's a sacrifice that doesn't really cost him anything. It doesn't take into account the, the, the seriousness of sin. It's not offered in a spirit of repentance. God even pleads with Cain, If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But Cain refuses to bow to God. He, he was in a state of rebellion against God. His anger stems from his sacrifice not being accepted while his brother's was. And God even tries to reason with Cain that it wasn't about favoritism, but it was about right and wrong, obedience and rebellion. But Cain refused to listen. His anger against God boiled over against his brother and he kills Abel. Verse 12, and why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. And that conflict still rages in every human life. Will it be God's will or will it be my will? Will I obey him? Will I submit to him or will I do my own thing? This is mankind's greatest problem. It's not ignorance. It is rebellion. That's why, verse 13, we are not to be surprised that the world hates you. Now, don't take up the mantle, as some do, of making the world hate you for the wrong reasons. Uh, don't be an insensitive jerk. Don't be a know-it-all. Don't be an arrogant piece of work. Let it be the light of Christ that people reject. The greatest personification, the greatest uh, display of love came down from heaven to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And what happened to him? He was rejected by the very people he came to love and save, and they crucified him. I cannot tell you how many times I have heard of brothers and sisters uh, around the world, particularly in the Middle East, who, who turn their lives to Christ, full conversion, uh, and the hatred and the violence that is placed upon them. They didn't become Christians and declare war on Islam or their families. 
No, all they've done is submitted to the love that was poured out for them. They have understood what Christ has done for them. Their spiritual eyes are open and they have chosen Him. And the violence and the hatred comes their way. But the world rejects that love and so takes out its hatred on them. Even in Australia, several of the young people in our church, when they became Christians, and these are not even Muslim families, but these young people became Christians from secular families, and they told their families, and they faced this rejection. Some were told that they had been brainwashed. Uh, families thought their kids were crazy or weak and, and needed God to explain their predicament or their situation. Or they thought it, it was pointless to turn your life over to God because of the rebellion in their hearts. Well, then John contrasts Cain with Jesus. I was trying to think of an example of this, but I can't. This is the most extreme example. The world's first murderer and Jesus, the Son of God. You can't get more extreme than that. Verse 16, by this we know love that He laid down His life for us. Do you think our world is confused on what love is? Today it's mostly geared towards sex. It's temporal. It's fleeting. It's a moment that, that people are trying to capture or encapsulate. It's a feeling that never seems to stay put. It's sentimentality. I see the shirts that say, love is love. What does that even mean? You're not even defining the term. I think we all know what that means. It's become a political slogan. John says, this is love, and this is how we know it. It is the gospel. It is the good news that God so loved the world that He sent His only Son to die so that whoever would believe in Him would not die the eternal death but would live forever with him. What a contrast to Cain. In both accounts, a life is taken. Cain takes the life of his brother because of his anger. Jesus lays down his life out of love to the Father and to his people. He he sees the need for his brothers uh, uh, around the world and, and across time. And He doesn't just speak loving words to us, though He does that. No, it was more. It was a deed. And so, John says, since you have been a recipient of this amazing deed, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. What we are being told is that real love has an element of self-sacrifice. It's not just when it's convenient or when it's helpful for us. It's a love that governs our bank accounts. It's a love that governs our calendars and our schedules. It's the way we spend our time and our talent and our treasure. But it's not as if we dig deep within ourselves and try and conjure up this love that we then exert out. No, you will most certainly get a hernia doing that. Love 
like this is always available from Christ, who is its only source. And the more we are open to receiving it, the more of Christ's love will fill into our lives and overflow to others. You think of the woman at the well. Jesus comes and he offers her living water. And she finally realizes that she is talking to the Messiah with the words of life. And she goes back into the community that has shunned her. And she brings them out to hear him. Well, then John gives us a practical illustration of this lofty principle, verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. What a challenge. I'm challenged by this. I don't think this is saying just give to anyone that comes to you. I don't even think it's saying just to give to all the beggars on the streets, fine as those things are. But as it relates to the brothers and sisters in Christ, and it's not always the people that you are closest to. It may not even be the person that you agree with. There's a story of an American who was walking down uh, the streets of a Chinese city. And he was really interested in watching these children, uh, many who were carrying smaller children on their backs and were still managing to play their games with their friends. It's too bad, the American sympathetically says to one of the little children, that you have to carry such a heavy burden. He's no burden, came the reply. He's my brother. This is the love test. Second, confidence, a confidence moving forward. Verse 19. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. If you're anything like me over the last few weeks, as we've done this series, Even though this is about assurance, I have felt the weight of what John has been saying. I have questioned my desire of the things of this world, how how subtly these things can creep up on us, how understandable in the eyes of the world many of these things may even seem. My heart knows how far short it falls in love for the brothers and sisters, compared to where it should be. And my heart condemns me in ways that no one else here can. But John doesn't want us to deny these things or or ignore them or bury them. Instead, I think he wants us to meet the challenge by seeing that God knows more. It's not that God minimizes or disregards our failures. In fact, He knows them better than we know them ourselves. 
He knows exactly where we are spiritually. He knows our strengths, our weaknesses, our gains, our losses, our successes, our failures. Our comfort is that God knows that the measure of love we do have is evidence of the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That we have been born of God. That we have crossed over from death to life. And He wants us to know that as well. Yes, we are imperfect. Our hearts cry out for a more consistent Christ-like love. But that does not destroy our assurance. If anything, it confirms it. It's like the person who comes to you and says, I think I've done the unpardonable sin. And you say, well, are you worried about that? They say, yes. I say, well, that should be a sign that you haven't done that yet. Because the person that's blasphemed the Holy Spirit doesn't care. But you have a burden. You know my love falls short. I want to love more. I want to love better. I want to have that Christ-like love. Forget Cain. I want to go the way of Christ. And that speaks to your heart and gives you the assurance that you're following in the right way, that you want to do the right thing. The desire is there. I think a clarifying word on assurance uh, is needed here because I know these verses, these next few verses can be a little bit difficult, very tricky. So there's three potential, I've come up with three potential roadblocks to assurance. First, verses 18 to 20. Little, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before Him whenever our heart condemns us. God is greater than our heart and he knows everything, everything. So the question is, is it the love with actions that assures us that we belong to the truth? Or is it the fact that God is greater than our hearts which condemn us and him knowing everything that assures us we belong to the truth? What gives us assurance? And the answer is yes. It's both. But I think ultimately it has to be confidence in God who knows everything. That confidence is grounded in who God is. But it is so important that we not turn a blind eye to the loving with action because it is a fruit of the life that has been transformed, indeed justified by Christ. Second potential roadblock. Now what is verse 21 saying? Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. That seems to be saying the opposite of what the previous verse just said. Is it saying that a person whose heart never condemns them, that person can be confident uh, in going to God? No, I think what it's saying is that when we deal when we deal with our condemning hearts on the grounds of God's truth and His love, even though this happens dozens of time, times a day even, we can be sure that God accepts us in spite of our faults and that we can therefore come to Him in prayer. We don't need to fear. We can come boldly and meet God face to face. We can pour out our hearts before Him. 
I think it's so easy for us to become tight and tense about our failures, to be so hard on ourselves for not being better. This is so miserable about our state that we forget the good news. We forget the love of God. And so we put prayer off because we think it's removed from us, that he won't listen to us, instead of coming back to him again and again, knowing that he desires our hearts, knowing that he desires all of us. Third potential roadblock to assurance. In verse 22, we find answers to prayers depend on our obedience and doing what pleases God. And so how could we ever have confidence to pray? Our obedience is always imperfect. Some will say that the answer to your prayers are in direct relation to your obedience to God. But is that what John is saying here? This seems to be a summary of all that John is saying in this letter. Verse 23, this is his command. This is what comprises obedience and doing what pleases God to believe in the name of the Son, of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another just as He commanded us. The two central truths are here. The God who is light has revealed Himself in the unchanging truth of His Word, written in the Scriptures, incarnate in His Son, and here is the ultimate reality. The response that, requires, that, that He requires is belief. A, a definite placing of one's life into the hands of Christ as Savior and as Lord. And that God who is love calls us to allow His love to flow into and through our lives so that we can become channels of God's love to others in all of its practical and self-giving sacrifice. Love God, love your neighbor. In verse 24, not only do we live with Him, but He with us, for He has given us His Holy Spirit. The one who opens the eyes of the blind and unstops the ears of the deaf to see the truth of Christ, the love of Christ. So if you are here and you have doubts, you lack confidence in who you are, do you have Christ? Have you put your trust, your faith, your hope in Him? Do you have love for the Christian family, the family of God? Today you can know for certain. Today you can rejoice in that confidence. If you feel that your love has grown cold, remember the gospel. Go back to Christ. Remember the truth that He sent His Son for you. He has demonstrated love. And He has given us the ability to demonstrate love to others. Let's pray. Father, love sometimes feels like an impossible topic to cover. And I think that's because your love is so great 
that we would never even be able to have the total vocabulary or the ability to, to say, I love you enough compared to what you have done, with us, done for us. And yet, on the other hand, our, our world has so misunderstood love. And so there is a making right of what love is. And you have told us so clearly here in your word that it is from Christ. It is the one who laid down his life to undo that original fall, that separation that took place in the garden that separated us from you, from relationship with you, that brought a right restoration of that relationship, that we can have life, eternal life, a better life here and now, not a perfect life, but a better life because we know the truth. And because of that love, it so impacts us to loving those around us. We need your help to know how to do that, what that looks like. We need your grace. We need your patience. We need the things that only you can give us so that we can give it to others. Oh, Father, that we would become those vessels who receive and pour out the love that you have given us. And in that, Father, you have given us great confidence and assurance of who we are, who you are. And we can even speak those words of confidence and assurance to others who do not know you or those who are doubting who you are. So, Father, this week, would you use us? Continually remind us of these truths that we're your people. We're called to love. For we pray this in Christ's name.